I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I hope that is your testimony this morning, that the Spirit of God has been attesting to you that you are a child of God. If you are not, I'm glad you're here as well, because this is where we hope that God is honored and glorified and that the gospel is uh, raised up high every single week. Pray that you take your Bible, turn with me to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, it's a one-chapter book. If you go to the book of Jude, if you're using that pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1,405. When you get there, you can go to verse 3. Today, we will stand in just a moment and read verses 3 through 8 of the book of Jude. As many of you may be aware, during the first week of October, my family went to the beach. My family, Jeff, Angela, Caleb, Laura, Micah, and Addie, we all stayed in a single condo at the beach that had plenty of room for all of us. Now, we went for a week. Actually, it was just six nights, but on our second night, the chirping began. You know that chirp. That chirp that doesn't care what time it is, doesn't care whether you're sleeping or awake. That chirp that cannot be ignored, the chirp of a smoke detector telling you it's time to change the batteries. It's possible that at least one person or one family in this room right now or online or on the phone right now has got that chirp going on in your house right now. And until you change that battery, it's just going to keep chirping and chirping and chirping. You know, these smoke detectors are created to save you from fire. They're wired electrically, but then most also carry a battery backup just in case the electricity were to go out. That battery backup has likely saved many people's lives. That chirp has a purpose. Well, there's only one problem. As I began this story, we were in someone else's condo in a different town in the middle of the night. And yes, I was up and I looked for extra batteries, but found none. We were not even able to open the smoke detector. I fiddled with it. We grabbed knives. We grabbed all the equipment that these condos come fully loaded with. <laughs> Couldn't get it open. Chirp, chirp. Chirp, it just keeps going. We contacted the owners the next morning. They're really lucky we didn't contact them right then. And someone came and replaced the battery, and guess what? The chirp stopped. The smoke detector was now fully functioning, electric and battery. We would be warned if trouble arose. But that chirp, it was annoying but it's a good thing. It's a reminder. It was a challenge. You know, one of the greatest ways to stop the chirp from happening is to routinely change your batteries and every single one of your smoke detectors once per year. When the first chirp happens in my house, I go and I spend the $30 it takes because nine volt batteries are not cheap any longer. And I go spend the $30 it takes and I change every single one of them in the house because I have learned that once you fix that chirp, that chirp's coming next. Chirping, chirping, chirping. 
You know, but the cost of those batteries is high, but it is relatively cheap and inexpensive compared to what not heeding the warning or not having smoke detectors in your house will do. But I was also reminded this week as I was writing this that we have one smoke detector in our home where we live that's no longer there. I remember that night several years ago that it began to chirp, and funny how these things only occur in the middle of the night. I had no battery to replace it. I had been awoken from sleep. I was not happy, so I just took it down. I unplugged the electricity and had two little wires hanging down from the ceiling with every intention of fixing that. And all these years later, it's still hanging just like that. Seems silly, but I was reminded of that this week. I need to fix that. You know, chirps have a purpose, and their purpose is for our good. How many times do we not heed warnings? How many times do we not take the proper precautions? And it's with that backdrop that I ask you to stand with me. We're going to read from the book of Jude. I'm going to begin to read in verse 3. We're going to read through verse 8. Jude chapter 1. Sorry. Even I forget it doesn't have but one chapter. Picking up in verse 3. It says this. Beloved... While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after the strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to talk through this. If you'll recall, last week we began our message series through the chapter the book of Jude. And last week we said, Jude, a bond servant of Christ, a brother of James. We discussed how Jude was the half-brother of Jesus, a brother who did not believe in Jesus during Jesus's earthly ministry, a brother who challenged Jesus during that ministry, a brother who saw Jesus after his resurrection, a brother who came to understand the gospel that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again for our sins, who placed his faith in Jesus as Savior and had surrendered his life for God's glory. Last week, Jude told us that he initially desired to write a letter to fellow believers to encourage them due to their common faith in the gospel. And that's where we got to last week. Verse 3, he goes on and says, I found it necessary. Have you ever had an intention to do one thing, but as you walked toward that one thing or began that one thing, you saw that there was something that you needed to do instead. That's exactly how Jude 
describes this. He said, I had every intention of writing you this really good, feel-good letter about our common salvation, but I found it necessary. Jude recognized that something had changed and he needed to deal with it, so he writes a letter because of these new circumstances to challenge the church. Verse 3 says that he's exhorting them twice in our series through the book of 1 Thessalonians that we completed not many weeks ago. We discussed the word exhort. Exhort means to thoroughly encourage, to fill up with encouragement, to give advice. We talked about how you would typically exhort someone when they felt they could not do something. Exhort someone means you can do this. And Jude is exhorting those in the church, verse 3 says, to contend earnestly for the faith. Now, last week we discussed that this faith, this truth, was the gospel. That this was an objective truth, a verifiable truth, a life-changing truth. That this is a fact that is not up to debate. People who want to debate it, I was praying this morning as I was coming in, because I know a few people that want to debate about everything. And I said, Lord, let them bring their science and their psychology and their biology and their ology of whatever they want to. Let them bring it. The truth of God's Word has stood the test of time, will stand the test of time. And if you're struggling right now with trusting the Word of God, dig deep. Try to make it not said. Stand up. It will stand up to whatever you want to bring against it. He's exhorting them the truth. The gospel has been delivered by God to man through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jude tells the people that this truth, this gospel, must be earnestly contended for. This means that this truth to be contended for is under attack. That this truth is being maligned, that this truth is being challenged, and it's at this moment that I look at my calendar and I go, okay, are we talking about first century Jerusalem and the areas around the new churches in Europe and Asia, or are we talking about Shelbyville, Tennessee in 2022? It's an amazing thing how the truth of God's Word was true then, true now, and has been true every day in between. Church, we need to come to a point where we recognize that the faith that Scripture talks about, the gospel talks, that Scripture talks about, is the truth. I know you see that today, that there's a fight. You know the truth is always up for debate up to someone's experience, their feelings, or their opinions. The truth today is not seen as objective. It is seen as subjective, open to the interpretation of each individual as they see fit. And Jude is saying, because we are, he is exhorting them to contend for the faith, the truth, the gospel, the fact that we're called to contend for it, it's under attack, and he's saying that we must stand up and do something about that. He says that there are some in the church that are not telling the truth. Some are not holding to the faith. Church, we know that to be true today. 
Jude tells us in verse 3 that we have to contend earnestly. This is a call to arms. This is a chirp that must be listened to. Did you know that the word chirp has multiples of definitions? When I think of chirp, you can think of what a bird says, right? We get that. Chirp, 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 right? Uh, My granddaughter had a bird. Had. It was chirping all the time, and we'd walk and go visit, and there'd be this black cloak over the birdcage. Because somehow, birds, when you put the black cloak over it, they know they're in timeout, and they just pipe down. But when you take the top off, and you let them just have full view of everything, chirp, 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 chirp. I can understand why they put that black thing on every now and then. But aren't we that way when it comes to the truth? We'll listen to the truth as long as we like it. We'll listen to the truth as long as we agree with it. We'll listen to the truth up until the point you cross a line or we get tired of it. And then what we seek to do with the truth is put the black cloak over it so that it just stops being an impact to our lives. But Chirp, I told you, had multiple definitions. I just sort of alluded to one right there. Do you know in the slang... The word chirp is a negatively connotated word. You're chirping at somebody. You're rising up against somebody. You're really fighting them. After you ever ran in to see an ugly scene, people say, okay, just keep chirping. Just keep at it. You know what I mean? And they're egging people on. And so some people, when they hear a chirp, they go, oh, that's a cute little bird. That's the truth. And other people, they go, that's annoying to me, and you better stop it. And both are chirping. To chirp someone is to insult them. I consulted the, you know, there is a slang dictionary. All all the words in it are slang words, but it says in this slang dictionary, to insult them or talk badly about that person or people. To Jude, he sees his exhortation as a warning to people, but there will be some, perhaps even in this room, that when we talk about this, you're going to hear that as a negative chirp instead of a warning chirp. The faith, the gospel, it is truth. Jesus said so much in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. You know, that's a very encouraging statement for those who love and have accepted Jesus. Isn't that an encouragement? We hear that, we hear that verse and we go, amen to that. But do you know that's chirping to many in the world? They're saying, so Jesus is the only way? Church, Jesus is the only way. But we recognize that there are people that we know, people that we love, people in our families, people in our friend group, people around us. They don't believe that to be truth. They believe that to be chirping. To those he mentions, they will see it as an attack on them. Happens all the time. Verse 4 says that certain men have crept in unnoticed. Now, church, I stopped right here. This is where I want to stay for just a minute because there's a lot in just a very few words. Look at verse 3. It says, crept, or verse 4, crept in. You know, creeping is not an open action. 
Creeping is a discreet attempt to enter into some place that you currently are not. And these that are fighting against the truth, these that are fighting against faith, these that are fighting against the gospel have entered into the church through deceptive means. I believe by their creeping, they have an inner understanding that their message is not welcome. How many times have you had good, truthful news, but you hid it and you crept in and didn't tell anybody about it? No, they know by their actions that this is going to be a challenge. It says they crept in. You know, the people who are attacking the truth, think about this, crept in. The people that are attacking the truth that Jude is speaking about, people that are attacking the faith, attacking the gospel, they're in the church. He said they crept in. And right now you're going and, I'm going, they're not here. There wouldn't be anybody in this church, online, on the phone, or physically in this room that would fight against the gospel, the truth, or faith. It's chirping. He's given us a warning. Because perhaps we are by the way that we're living our lives. And then he says that these people crept into the church unnoticed. Oh, this is when he cuts me to the quick. You know what he says right here? When he says they crept into, they were deceitful, they were underneath, they were creeping in. You know what they they did? We let them in. They crept in unnoticed. Do you know how anybody gets into this church unnoticed? Because we're not watching the doors. Now, you likely know this, but we have a security team every week. Their job is to notice. I chatted with someone today. I said, are you security today? He said, I'm learning today. I said, well, keep your eyes open. Because, see, nobody can come in that's not noticed. Now, we didn't say that people weren't welcome. We're saying that Jude say that people came into the church fighting against the faith, the gospel, the truth, and they came in in deceitful ways, and we let them because we didn't notice them. That's an interesting challenge, not noticing people. Church, we need to notice people, not just because we need to make sure that the truth is protected, but we need to notice people. You know, when we let them in, we've turned our back. I'm not talking about the physical doors. I'm talking about them being part of this body. We've turned our back, Jude says. We've dropped our standards. We've brought in the truth as being each person's prerogative. We've avoided conflict. We have weakened our own devotion to the truth. We have left our passion for the Word of God. You name it, but that's how things get unnoticed when the children of God stop paying attention to the things of God. These and many other reasons exist in our lives when we allow the truth to be attacked. This problem, people not aligning with the truth, is not just a problem that Jude is dealing with. It's present today. There are false teachers everywhere in the church, and we can say in the church 
physically here. We can say in the church, globally, spiritually, there are people that would be considered false teachers in the church. Verse 4, these men are doing, these men that have crept in unnoticed, they're doing three things with the truth, Scripture says. Verse 4 says they are ungodly men. These men make claims that are not supported by God. Remember the statement that I made a number of weeks ago, that salvation is not something that we claim. Salvation is God's response to us expressing faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, we've talked before about how people can claim anything, that it's their life and their faith that they and God know that they have that makes all the difference. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that there will be many in that day who will make claims of faith, but unless they have a personal relationship with Jesus, they'll hear these words that Jesus said, I never knew you. People who do not stand for the truth of God are not God's people. So number one is they are ungodly men. Verse 4 says that they have turned the grace of God into sin. These people are changing God's grace for a license to sin. These people are likely the forerunners of what are now called Gnostics. Gnostics believe that the spirit is good and created by God while the flesh was bad and not created by God. Therefore, they assume that the spirit was not touched by the flesh or else it would be contaminated, that we're, we're two separate entities. There's a physical us and there's a spiritual us going on. Therefore, they believe that they could indulge in every fantasy of the flesh and that their spirit would not be impacted. This therefore led to flagrant immorality and perversion. This caused people to twist the grace of God, claiming that God would overlook the sin of the flesh and save the spirit. God's word, truth, says this. Let me just flip back. I'm going to make this, uh, you want to flip there, you can. I'm going to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 12 to 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 to 17. If you're in that pew Bible, it's on page 1362. 1 Timothy chapter 1, picking up at verse 12, says... And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Paul talks about how God's grace, when we come to know Christ, how God's grace changes us. Scripture teaches that we are changed in our heart, soul, mind, and strength as we yield ourselves to God. God's grace enables us to live for him. Peter talks about this same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. He says, but he who has called you is holy. 
you also be holy in all your contact. Peter also said that you have been given everything by God to become holy. Knowing Jesus as your Savior will change every part of your life. Not only that, but they do not recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Many believe that Jesus was a man, and they deny his Godhead. Others believe that he was only a spirit, and they deny his manhood. And I could tell you, we could talk for hours on hours on the beliefs that people hold about Jesus and who he is and how that all came about. The truth of God teaches that Jesus is fully man and fully God. Make this note, second, not second, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let me read those. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Jesus, based upon Scripture, is fully God. Jesus, based upon Scripture, is fully man. And without that belief, there can be no faith. There can be no gospel. The truth, the faith, will lead to godliness, holiness, and sanctification. And Jude wants to remind you in verse 5, Look at the, look what it says in verse 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, Jude is saying when you stop and compare the teaching of the false teachers, you will remember and you will understand what the truth is. He's saying to the church, you have stopped remembering. You knew this. Do you know that if you knew this, you still know this? Jude saying, wake up. I wrote down these questions for myself that get to be questions for you. Church, have you allowed the truth, the faith, the gospel to become convenient and subjective in your life? Church, do you still cling to the truth as fully defined by God's word. Church, are you willing to contend to fight for the faith? We live in a battlefield. The truth is up for debate in this world. I pray that the truth is not up for debate in your heart. And Jude is warning the church. He said, you know this. 
There's not a week that goes by that this is not either said to me from my church family or I say it to someone. Church, it matters how you live. Jude goes on to say that the Lord will not tolerate the changing of the truth. Do you know that God has never tolerated those who do not align with this truth? And Jude provides us some quick examples to help them remember, help us remember to take this chirping, this warning, this truth very seriously. Look at verse 5. It says, The Lord, having saved people out of Egypt, later destroyed those who would not believe. Think about this. God delivered a people who did not yet believe. He laid out a plan. God told the people what to do. And we're talking about a 40-year period of time. And they would not obey him. And their lack of belief caused God to judge an entire generation that died in the wilderness because they simply would not believe and obey what God said. Verse 6, the angels who rebelled have been reserved for eternal judgment. Now, this is mentioned and recorded in Scripture in bits and pieces. You have to sew it together. But Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, Revelation chapter 12, among other places. And while we're not given the full detail of the understanding, we clearly see that there was a rebellion in heaven by angels who took authority that wasn't theirs led by Satan himself, Lucifer. And Scripture says that God judged this rebellion. And it says there in this Scripture, He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Verse 7, we hear about Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord judged their sin, their disbelief, and their influence on others. They were destroyed because there were not ten righteous men in the cities. And so we hear about these quick hit reminders historically about how God has warned the people and about how God has judged and taken action on those people. It would be a lot like us having a smoke detector, having it go off, and we just turn the TV up so that we aren't bothered by the chirp. Eventually, the house will burn and you will be caught up in it. We must listen to these warnings that Jude is given to us because in verse 8, it says, likewise, also these dreamers. Now, these dreamers are also, if you go back and keep it in context, are these certain men that have crept in unnoticed, not standing for the truth, the faith, or the gospel. False teachers. And they're compared to these three examples. You know, what God is saying is, 
I see what's going on. And I will take the appropriate actions. In our Sunday school today, we talked from 2 Timothy. And one of the verses in 2 Timothy, God says, I know who my people are. God says, by that definition, he says, and I know who everybody else is as well. Verse 4 goes back to say about these people who have crept in unnoticed that verse 8 calls them like these dreamers. Verse 4 says that they were marked out long ago for this condemnation. God will not tolerate false teaching in the church. Now, if you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to write down this scripture because Peter also warned of and spoke similarly to this topic as well. And if you want to read that, you can go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and you're going to find that Peter was talking about something that, historically speaking, began not long after that Jude is seeing the fruit of. Peter gave a warning that people didn't heed as fully as they could, and now the church has people in it. So let me give you a few summary points, because this is an odd place to stop. You're going, well, Jeff, where's the happy ending? You know, church, sometimes there just isn't a happy ending. But there is always a recommitment to the truth. So let me give you a few summary statements that I wrote down for my life, and maybe they'll be encouraging to you. We must be ready to earnestly contend for the faith. Church, whether you want to admit it or not, this faith is in a battle. This is a spiritual battle. Secondly, we must stay diligently in the word clinging to Jesus. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that Satan is diligently on the prowl, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I don't know about you, you know, it's amazing how things can pop up in our life during the week. One of Addie's favorite movies right now is Lion King. Lion King, you may remember that, it came out. 28 years ago, but it's still a great movie. But in this, someone desires to be king who is not. And they take the choices in hand and they pick on the weaker in order to bring about their own desire. If we're not careful, we'll just wander through life not diligently being in God's word, not diligently hearing the chirp of God's reminder, not diligently holding up the values of the faith. And Satan, he's going to be looking for you. Here's what I believe. The people that Satan get a hold of, gets a hold of, they're the ones who put their Bible down long before he got a hold of them. I believe that if you take up your Bible, if you're diligently in the Word, Scripture will teach that you will be ready 
You will see it coming. You will see the way of escape. You will know that that is meaning running to Jesus, and you will stay strong. So we need to diligently stay in the Word of God. We must have a clear, Scripture-based understanding of the truth. When we will understand the truth as God's Word has laid it out, we will then be equipped to measure everything else we see, everything else we hear against what is the truth, and then we will know whether it is true or not. We must confront immediately and lovingly all teaching that is not the truth. You know, it's possible that someone is genuinely just in error. In our small group Bible study today, we talked about how we need, Timothy was being encouraged by Paul, to walk in a certain way, deal with things in a certain way in the hopes that God would lead them to repentance so that God would be glorified. We don't get to see that many times unless we get involved. We must review all the voices in our lives to make certain that these voices have not slipped in unnoticed and are undermining the truth in our lives. I will tell you that the more I find myself in God's Word, the more I find myself desiring to be godly, the more I do that, I am finding that more things become clearly objectionable in my life. Things that I used to be able to live with, even though I understood they weren't great, I now don't even want to allow to play into my life. And part of the reason is, is because God's word would teach me to guard my heart, to yield to him. But the other thing too, to be honest with you, is you're struggling with it. And that's a warning to me, but that also causes me to desire to yield myself more fully so that I can be available to walk with you. So do a review of all the voices in your lives. What are you listening to? What are you hearing? What are you watching? Who are you watching? Can I just make this statement? Not all people who call themselves Christ followers stand for the truth as defined by God in his word. That's why you diligently need to stay in the word to know what the truth is because of God's word through the leadership of the Holy Spirit so that you will be able to recognize all those. It's an interesting thing. I, I met with a woman. I did a funeral this week, not a related to the church. It was related in the community. And I, after the funeral, a lady came up to me and she was speaking in spiritual terms to me, but the people that she was referencing that she listens to every single day are not people that hold to the truth of God's Word. Not everybody who calls themselves a Christian is supporting the truth. And we must do all of this out of love. 
For a just and holy God will judge those who do not accept and support the singular truth of God. We need to recognize by those negative things that we saw happen in the past that they will happen again because God will always be faithful to what is right. And so we need to be ready to fight the battle for faith, for truth, for the gospel, because the lives of other people hang in the balance. This kind of life will be us chirping a warning to the world. And I mean that in the most loving, chirping way possible. But church, you must recognize that if you choose to live a life of faithful obedience to the truth of God's word, to some that you intend to warn lovingly, they will receive it as a negative chirp. It'll be a challenge. That's why you have to contend for the faith. We must be willing to stand for the truth whatever the outcome. Amen? Amen. Amen.